Hello and you're very welcome to the AA Ireland podcast. I'm Paddy Common and welcome to season two. Anna Cullen has left us to go on her travels, but I'm pleased to welcome Blake Boland to the AA and to the AA podcast. Hello there, Blake. It's great to be here. Delighted to be on the team and looking forward to getting stuck into a lot of projects. So look, tell us a bit about yourself, Blake. You are someone who have been doing lots of EV content for some time and you have your own EV channel. So tell us about that. That's right. Yeah, predominantly EV over the last few years, all kind of freelance work, uh, a lot of commercial videos as well. But our, the channel that, that I set up a couple of years ago with a friend of mine, Derek, um, is all about EVs, but not just the cars. We're trying to get into e-bikes and look at where the energy comes from and that kind of holistic picture on what's going on because it's uh, it's taking off EVs, whether you like it or you don't, they're coming. So look, this is what, week three of... Yeah, well, fourth now, fourth. fourth. Now, yeah, okay. yeah, don't sell me short. <laughs> <laughs> and we've just done the AA Ireland Car Awards, the first event of that kind. And uh, that was that was quite a success. Congratulations to Dacia for uh, their overall win with the jogger. And, and Skoda, of course, left with an armful of trophies on the day. But a good event, wasn't it? Yeah, some real surprises in there as well. It was great to see some cars that people might not have anticipated winning awards being up there, not just in the nominations, but actually taking the awards. So look, next week in the podcast, we will be looking at classic cars, but I I guess the floor is open for people as well. If they do want us to cover topics, if they want us to have um, some discussions, and of course, put your questions to us. You know, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can... Get, get us across some of the social media platforms or email us etc but uh, but no do come to us and, and ask us to cover topics because we'd be delighted to do that yeah there's lots of great ideas out there that we haven't thought about yet buddy so look we're starting this new season with Circle K's director of fuel Jonathan Diver and we're going to talk about the future of fuels now we do touch on EV charging synthetic fuels and E10 and how the four quarters change so um, it is a very interesting chat AA membership comes with lots of great benefits, including breakdown service 365 days a year, so you will never be left stranded. It's roadside rescue. We don't just tow your car. We fix about 8 out of 10 at the roadside. Our personal cover means you're covered in any car, not just when you're driving it. It's even when you are a passenger in someone else's car. And don't forget about home start. That's cover when you're at home. Perfect if your car has been lying idle for a while. To find out more, go to the aa.ie and learn more there. So we're joined this week by Jonathan Diver, who is Director of Fuel for Circle K. Jonathan, welcome to the show. And firstly, what is a Director of Fuel? Yeah, well, my role within Circle K, is it covers quite a broad area. Um, so I'm responsible for our fuel pricing across our business, um, responsible, f- you know, with, with support for others for the sourcing of fuel that we bring into Ireland and, you know, meets the needs of our customers. But probably a big part of my role and a growing part of my role is actually our focus on sustainability. Um, And that covers a wide range of things, such as the development of our electric vehicle charging infrastructure. It covers things like compressed natural gas, which we're bringing into part of our fleet business, but loads of other things, including the development of biofuels. Um, sustainability is obviously hugely important for a company like ours. Um, we can make such a difference in this space, and it's that's become an ever-growing, uh, much larger part of of my of my role. You know. Well, look. Firstly, we're here to talk about the future. We're talking about the future of fuels and talk about the future of you know how fuels are made, what the what will be in the fuels that are in your tank. But let's just go back for a start, and can you give us an overview 
of the Circle K business in Ireland? Yeah, in Ireland, we have about 420 odd service stations. Uh, we have a mix of, uh, plus, sorry, uh, we have a number of standalone service, uh, standalone stores that we acquired in Dublin city centre just, just last year. Um, those stores are all over Ireland. They're in every community across the island of Ireland. Um, and huge employers as well. We employ 2,000 people directly ourselves, uh, but then obviously our dealers will employ many more, and we also supply fuel to distributors who are again are, are strong employers in their local areas as well. Being being retailers, was that is that a model that's across the globe or yeah it, okay. yeah? So Kushtard would be our parent company that that own and operate under the Circle K uh, brand would be large convenience and, and fuel retail operators all over the globe. And if you can explain to us, how does the company-owned versus franchise and dealer model work? Yeah, so co- company-owned, probably very briefly, is businesses that we, we lease or we own and we operate those. So it's our staff that are behind the tills, it's our managers that run the stores, um, and we have over 160 of those stores. Um, The franchise business then is probably the next extension of that where it's an independent retailer who runs their own business but they're actually operating a convenience store that's in our format and that's that's a growing and developing part of our business. And then we have a very sizable number of independent retailers uh, who operate in all kinds of local communities all across the island of Ireland. They run their own business, they operate uh, under our fuel brand and then they will operate under various symbol brands when it comes to their shop offering. Uh, and is there any difference for the consumer between those two? Yeah, there, there would be. From a fuel perspective, we'd hope that there would be very little. It should be the same look, feel on the forecourt. It's the same quality fuel that we sell across our whole network. Our fuel card network, our fuel card is accepted in all stores. But when you walk into the store, our, our own brand will be very similar in look and feel, featuring our, our coffee and our food offering and that. But then our independent retailers will carry different symbol groups that you that operate in the convenience space, you know. Uh, that's the main difference. So can you tell us a little bit about Circle K from a global perspective? What has it been like working as part of that global organisation? Yeah, I suppose it's, um, they're very large. Firstly, I suppose, from a Circle K point of view, they uh, operate over 14,000 stores globally in 26 different countries and territories. So if you take the US, they're the largest uh, owner and operator of independent stores there. Canada, they're pro- Canada, uh, Scandinavia and the Baltics here in Europe, they're the largest fuel and convenience operator in each of those markets. And then they also have a presence in other markets such as Poland, um, Hong Kong and, and other places where they operate under a franchise model. So it's a huge business, um, employing over 124,000 people in total, so a huge employer in all of those, all of those countries. Um, to bring that into an Irish context then, um, in 2015, the uh, Topaz business, as it was at the time, was acquired by Kushtard or Circle K. And shortly after that, in 2018, uh, probably the largest uh, forecourt rebrand in Ireland was when Circle K started to appear in the canopies all across Ireland. So that was in 2018. 
Um, yeah, and then for working for a company like this has been great because there's so much experience, particularly, you know, there's lots of experience in different parts of the world. So you check, for instance, in Europe, in my particular area, which uh, is alternative fuels and EV, we operate in Norway, which is probably one of the fastest developing areas when it comes to electric vehicles. And being part of a global company like this, we can share all that best practice from one country to another. And, you know, you look at the US, there's there's a lot of work being done over there in terms of frictionless payment and all that sort of stuff that will be coming here soon as well. So it's all about making it easier for our customers. Turn into the future, and obviously that's why we're here, looking yeah. at the future, the forecourt and alternative fuels. There's big changes afoot in the forecourt and convenience retail space. There's a transition, obviously, to EV. Yeah. You only have to look at the sales figure figures in Ireland up 80% compared to last year. There's a gradual phasing out of fossil fuels. Have you worked, you've worked in the forecourt space for much of your career. How do you assess this transition? Yeah, I think I think you could probably break it into two areas. I could break it in maybe to the convenience store and separately then to the, to the forecourt. Yeah, I, as you say, I've worked in this for a lot of my career. I'm in October next month, I'm 20 years in this business. So I've seen quite a lot of change. I would probably argue there's been a transition in our industry for, for many, many years. Uh, looking back to when I first came into Forecourt, it was probably a challenge to, for consumers to actually trust to buy a cup of coffee and a sandwich in a Forecourt, whereas now the offer there is phenomenal in comparison to then. But we're probably moving into the next stage of, of that now, driven predominantly by the change on the outside, on, on the Forecourt, which is obviously the introduction of electric vehicles. Um, as well as as other areas where we're trying to get different forms of um, fuel that actually help us reduce the the carbon output. Like, um, de- like dealing with that fork that that retail space. Firstly, I mean the the shop, yeah. if you like, of yeah. today is so different Absolutely. to the ones we grew up with. Yeah, uh, you know, has that have we just not noticed how quickly that's happened? I think it's 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 probably just. I think the the. The retailers that operate in Ireland, uh, whether that's ourselves or many of our independent retailers, and that they're a very resilient bunch. We just get on with things. We we tend to make things happen, and we don't actually realise that many other countries across the world, when it comes to forecourt retail convenience, lots of companies look to Ireland to see what they're doing, particularly in store. And over those years, we've obviously seen, you know, it would have probably started with a with a cup of coffee or with a, a jar of coffee and a kettle in some some of the stores. Uh, and now the coffee offers inside are phenomenal, and that's supported by other offers such as, you know, cold drinks. Uh, the food offer now behind the deli is phenomenal as well. You can get any anything for any time of the I day. I got an iced coffee in it yeah. in a Circle K the other day. Yeah. You know, it's, so yeah. there's so much breadth, yeah. and, and plus it's. It's no longer the case of you just going in and grabbing a, a sandwich that was made three days ago. You know, it's yeah. fresh stuff. Yeah. And plus you can buy ingredients that can make quite a nice meal yeah. as well. So it really has changed. Well, consumers expect that now. And to me, there shouldn't be a difference between what the customer gets in one of our service stations to what they would get on the high street. And you will see that yourself. You can get every bit as high quality product on a service station as you can get if you're, you know, if you're walking down Grafton Street and going into a store for a cup of coffee and a sandwich. You know, it's the same product, same standards. 
which is, you know, a real reflection on how much our industry has changed over the years. And customers don't question that anymore. People come to our stores to buy sandwiches, whereas in the past 10, 15, year, 15, 20 years ago, it may have been just a case, I'll grab something in here because I, I haven't the time or the choice to go somewhere else, you know. I guess, and I don't know if you guys have figures somewhere in the, mm. that backs that up, but is the average Circle K customer now spending more time in in the yeah. outlet? I think a lot of our customers are still time precious. Um, they are in a hurry. And I think a lot of our initiatives when it comes to in-store is to make that that uh, journey easier. So try and make things quicker for them at the Try and take away the time that, you know, try and get them as much time as they can back into each of their days. Because for a lot of our customers, it could be in the morning time, someone coming in for a coffee and a pastry after dropping their children to school or maybe dropping their children to school. Lunchtime, it's someone who's on the road going from A to B to that next meeting. A lot of our customers um, don't have a lot of time and we try and make it as easy for them as possible to get in and out. But on the flip side of that, there is a customer and increasingly a customer who is going to be in the forecourt longer because they're going to be charging an EV. So firstly, for those people, is there going to be a greater offering to give them something to do for the 20, 30 minutes? And then also from there, you know, what's the EV offering going to be like from Circle K? Yeah, so I think the first thing in terms of, of dwell time, I think initially, as, as we're seeing, most of the infrastructure at the moment is going into, uh, you know, sites that are on major arteries, so our motorways and our national routeway stores. The customer on that route probably does have a little bit more time. They and want should to stop. have a break. Yeah. yeah, stop, take a break, go to the toilet, grab a cup of coffee, probably check your emails and uh, our social media and you know that 10 or 15 minutes is probably as much time as they need for a charge and some of the fast charging infrastructure that's in place which is good um so from an ev development point of view you know you're probably fairly familiar with where these vehicles are selling it's mainly in the urban areas currently Um, and from an infrastructure point of view, that's where we're targeting. We're trying to put this infrastructure where the customer needs it first, uh, and that will develop over time. Um, but what are the challenges in that area uh, currently? Yeah, so like, I suppose the, th- the key thing for us would be we're trying to get this infrastructure developed out and available to customers as quickly as possible. And and it's not only in, in our industry. I was listening to a piece yesterday in the radio, someone who's talking about trying to get battery energy back into the grid and they're finding a challenge there. So I think we're finding our main challenge is probably access to the grid. We'd like it to be quicker than what it is, but we're working through that with the with you know the various parties that are responsible for that. That's probably the biggest challenge. There are other challenges. Uh, Cost is obviously becoming more of a challenge. Um, cost of of the equipment and the infrastructure that we need, um, and some of the processes around that, such as planning permission, etc., takes time, and there's a cost associated with that. So that, so that would also be a challenge. And more recently, you know, no matter what industry you're in, in the moment, people will tell you about how long it takes to get equipment and parts and that. So lead times has become more of a challenge. In, in the last 12 months or so. But even on various sites I've been at in terms of charging vehicles, not necessarily Circle K ones, but you come to fast chargers that say they're going to put out 150 kilowatts yeah. and are putting out 30, 40, yeah. sometimes 50. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are definitely challenges there from 
a grid from perspective and from you know what the ESB is offering in terms of outputting the electricity itself. Does that present you guys any problems? No, I wouldn't say not at the moment, but I think you are correct in, in one respect. I think the journey for the EV customer still needs significant work, and that's something we're really focused on. I think it's difficult in terms of placement of the charging points in forecourts because as someone who uses these all the time, yeah, you go to a, an outlet to charge a car, and if it's near... Uh, somewhere that sells food or a McDonald's or something else they're full of ICE vehicles yeah. so that can be a challenge I guess as well is there anything in, in terms of what the government could do to help you guys in your EV journey? I, I think there's probably a few things they could do first and foremost it's to help us with that whole planning and access to the grid process and I know there are some steps being taken there now there are some work groups now being set up to try and help drive some action there and try and improve that because the quicker we can get through those processes the quicker we can have this infrastructure in place circle k have um, money set aside to spend in this space we're developing our ev infrastructure in every country in which we operate and from a from a business point of view that investment will go where it's quicker and easier to get it done. So, you know, we can invest more in this country if the authorities help us with that process. I think that's probably the primary thing. I think then secondary as well, there's some other areas that we would like more focus from government around, um, you know, things like carbon credits and how they're handled. There's some stuff there that needs work. And I think it's uh, some of that legislation just needs updating, but we're working through that sort of stuff. Can, can you give us then a flavour of what the Circle K EV offering looks like? You know, can you share any of the, the initial plans? Yeah, well, I think I think at a high level, say our idea is to put in fast chargers almost everywhere. There may be smaller towns and villages around the country where it's not feasible to put in that level of infrastructure yet. So there may be. Uh, lesser chargers in those areas but in all the major arteries all the major routes for us it's about fast charging making it easy for our customers to come in get that top-up charge that they need to get from a to b give them the experience when they come in the site as well so they can grab a coffee it's good toilet facilities they can check their emails they can you know grab a break for a few minutes while they're waiting that's the priorities to get that journey right for those customers so when you're planning the locations for these do you look at areas that don't have them already or is it just as a supplementary spot to very very busy routes it's a combination of a variety of things i'd say firstly national primary routes um they're they're the focus because as customers travel around the country more and more in the in evs we need to make sure the facilities are there to meet them so that's probably priority i think outside of that then we're monitoring closely, obviously, where the sales are. There's some really good data that shows us where the concentration of vehicles are. So the secondary thing would be to focus on providing the infrastructure in the areas where customers need the most. Um, at the moment, I think for when you're starting on a rollout, it's a, I suppose the, the primary kind of thing is to look at the low-lying fruit, so to speak. So where you can get access quicker and easier to the grid, you will kind of prioritise potentially over somewhere else where it may take us a little bit longer or where the cost of connection is that bit higher, you know. And much like buying fuel with Circle K where there are you know competitions, rewards, etc. Yeah. Do you see the same coming into play for EV charging? Yeah, well, I think our, our business in Europe are developing apps and, um, and processes that make it easier for customers in that way too. So we will have 
technology that will make it easier for the customer to see where EV charging is, see when those charges are free, see what facilities are available, and they will link into, you know, the same loyalty schemes and stuff that we have with fuel as well. Absolutely. We've got to make the journey easier for the customer. Turning to actual fuel itself and, and the future of that, in the immediate future, there's something called E10 yeah. coming. First of all, what is E10 for people who don't know? Yeah, I think just just before I get into E10, I think EV is obviously the destination sure. we and others want to get to. But between which, which seems strange for, for for a petrol retailer to say, but you yeah, know, well, it's great to see. Yeah, that's that's the that's the road we are on. Uh, but we do believe there's a hell of a lot we can do before we actually get to that destination because we're still selling fuel. We're still selling a lot of unleaded and diesel fuel every day of the week. And from our point of view, there's a quite a number of things we can do to actually help uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions and make that fuel um, more environmentally friendly. E10 is one, there are others. So if you take E10, first of all, E10, our current unleaded that we sell is, is an E5, so it includes a 5% ethanol. And the proposal is to move that to 10%. Um, so just to explain to people who aren't aware, you know, what does that five to ten percent mean? Is that a fuel that's cleaner? That that yeah. five or ten percent element? It helps reduce emissions. So if we went to in the Republic of Ireland, if we moved to an E10 tomorrow, that would take annually about ninety thousand tons of carbon out of our environment, which is the same as taking around fifty five thousand vehicles off our road in effect. So that's the difference that it makes to the environment. Um, now, in terms of the island of Ireland, there's already a clear trajectory for Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland will move to an E10 in November of this year. Um, there's a transition period from November to January, um, and they follow hot in the heels of the UK that moved um, last year. Um, Republic of Ireland, we are hoping to move to an E10 next year. We still don't have 100% confirmation on the dates on that, but we're obviously, like anybody else, seeking clarity from government on that. Cause and and should you have had that by now? Well, we'd, we'd, we'd like to know for next for year where we're going, yes. Um, now, the government have started on an education plan there and they've committed to... To, to replicate and I think primarily what's been done in the UK in that regard, which has been very good, good consumer education early on, letting people know, you know, vehicle compatibility and all and all of that relevant information. So hopefully we get clarity on that in the coming weeks. It will make it much easier for us and much easier for consumers the quicker we can get out and talk about this, yes. So are, are there any challenges that come with E10? Yeah, well, the principal one is that it's it's not compatible for, for all vehicles. Uh, it is a small percentage. That's probably the principal challenge. What vehicles would they be? Um, would they be more the, the older, older vehicles? Uh, uh, typically, I think older vehicles, yeah. Um, older models pre-2011 um, and probably vintage vehicles. Um, but as I said, it, you know, it shouldn't really necessarily be the retailer that does this education piece. It should be... Government, really. Yeah, we would feel that it should be government should help here. Um, you know, it's much easier for, I think, the consumer and for us, obviously, as an industry, but I think primarily for the consumer, if there's one central message, be that from the Department of Transport or, or whichever relevant authority, it lets the customer know what they need to do, what the obligations are, and makes that easier for everybody, rather than each of, each of the fuel retailers going out with their own independent messaging, you know. Talk to us again about further on into the future. So 
synthetic fuels yeah is it science fiction or is it science fact no it's very real and i think you're probably aware of some of these fuels that are actually in other markets um for, there is one product that we expect to come into the irish market very well it's actually some some companies are actually using a product called hydro treated vegetable oil which is in effect like another diesel it can be used in most vehicles that actually uh, take a diesel currently and that reduces greenhouse gas emissions by somewhere in the region of about 90% which is a phenomenal reduction um, we'll be one of the players in that space really soon we're working on our infrastructure in, in our terminals to be able to bring that product in here soon and make that available to I, I know there's quite a lot of interest in this product already there's quite a lot of logistics players and, and some of the national retailers and stuff that are interested in getting their their sourcing and their fleet that bring their product to their stores onto a more environmentally friendly product and this is probably the one that'll be first on the market um, so are, are there any drawbacks to it or are any major advantages the the, the advantage is obviously the reduction yeah, course, yeah. in GHG it, it, does it cost more it, it, cost- it does cost more yeah and at the moment you know that's probably percentage wise it could be 20-25% more expensive than a standard diesel um, but for fleets who are looking to reduce their overall carbon footprint yeah. for various reasons, then then obviously that's something that they can soak yeah, up. Yeah, and there are many companies that operate in Ireland that have already set their own mandates for reducing carbon output. And it's companies like that that are looking to logistics hauliers and providers like us for that type of solution because they've set their own targets and they're keen to, regardless of cost, they want, they've set themselves targets um, and companies like us can help them in that. I know this is something that the AA are looking at in terms of running our yeah. own fleet yeah. from, so there are plans and, in place And there are many, other, many others like yourselves that are looking to see um, uh, if they can use this product in their fleet, etc. It's not suitable for all vehicles, but it is suitable for the largest percentage of them. Um, and then there are other products that are, are, are coming to market in other countries in Europe. So we have a project, for instance, in Denmark at the moment, which is converting electricity into fuel. So an electrofuel that's been trialed, again, predominantly being used in HGVs. I think it's the heavy goods vehicles where you will see a lot more development in this space because... While electricity will probably come, EV will probably come into that space at some stage in the future, it, it's it's further off than the the car um, by quite a distance, I would think. So look into your crystal ball for us. 2030, when you know the government obviously hopes that we'll have a huge percentage of EVs in the road, what will a Circle K retailer look like? Over, you know, in, in in terms of both the customer experience and 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 what will be at the pumps. Yeah, well, we we'll still have pumps because there will still be a significant amount of of vehicles on the road. I think targets for EVs by twenty thirty suggest could be, you know, anywhere around half a million vehicles. That's probably about a quarter of the total fleet here. So there'll still be a lot of vehicles buying fuel. Uh, you are probably likely to see some service stations at that stage with the reverse, with maybe the pumps at the back of the store and EV uh, out the front. We've already, we already see that in a, couple, in a number of locations in Norway, for instance, where actually EV is out the front and fuel is now towards the rear of the store. But fuel will still be a huge part of our business then. 
Um, I think the fuels themselves will be different. They will have significantly more biofuels within them. So we'll be significantly reducing greenhouse gas emissions because of that. And hopefully we can push on and develop in that space as much as possible. So it does look like an exciting future and, and one to keep an eye on. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time, for joining us this week. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Thank you. So I look, I really did enjoy that chat with Jonathan Diver. You know, we talk about petrol prices, our diesel prices a lot. And the forecourt especially has changed. I mean, your average petrol station, like you're old enough to remember when they were nothing more than a, a shed um, at the side of the road with that might have sold a... a uh, you know, a bag of sweets, but now they're somewhere you can get a, a whole meal and, uh, crucially, in the future, charge your car. Yeah, they're they're changing massively. I also remember when I first got my car, the price was less than a euro for a liter <laughs> of fuel. But yeah, changing massively, and it's only just the start of it as well. When you look around the world, Sam, I mean, there's there's battery swapping stations. They're putting cinemas at chargers, and yeah, it's it. The landscape is changing significantly. And what was interesting in that discussion was when he said that. In the likes of Norway, Circle Ks are flipped. They're the reverse of what they are here. So the EV charges are out front and the petrol and diesel is at the back. And, and you know, that's something that they see happening here in the not too distant future. Yeah, as the number grows, I mean, the penetration of EVs into the market in Norway is massive. It's something in and around 80 percent, you know, which are just numbers that we can't comprehend here in Ireland. But you can see that shift. And great to hear as well of them you know, outlining plans to bring in fast charging points their own fast charging points at Circle K outlets. Do you think that that's still one of the points that people feel there isn't enough of, fast chargers? Yeah, people uh, definitely feel that. And it's a bit like, you know, marshmallows in your lucky charms. You always want a few extra in there. Um, and it's just to shave off those peaks as well when a lot of people might turn up on bank holiday weekends. And we, we need... We should have more than we actually need because until the public sees chargers everywhere, sees them working, sees them being used, sees them being vacant so they know they can pull in and grab a charge, until we get to that level, we're still looking at a lot of people, especially those without off-street parking, you know, facing that challenge. And until we get to those kind of numbers, a lot of people will struggle to make that switch. It's a funny thing with the fast chargers because, like, if you consider that we have sold 80% more, 85% more EVs than we did last year and we yeah. can... I suppose estimate that that growth is going to be exponentially similar as the years go on. You know how you know, conversely does the multiplication of fast chargers have to grow from what we have already? Because if you go to places like Cashel at Ionity, I, I've experienced them being full uh, when I drive to Cork or, or back. You know how much do, do those charging point outlets need to grow in size? Yeah, we, we need huge growth in it and they need to be in the right places as well. Like it is great to have a one off fast charger, be it a 50 kilowatt one, you know, around the corner. But what we really, really need is these hubs. Um, so that's at least four, six, eight chargers littered along major routes, Dublin, Cork, uh, you know, Galway to, to Limerick, uh, Belfast, Dublin. We need a series of those so that people who are have have older EVs you know with smaller batteries can just do those 200 kilometer runs stop grab a charge and you just know that look if I turn up and they're all full there's 10 there I'm pretty sure one of those is going to free up in the next five minutes and that's that becomes acceptable to people then the idea that you'll turn up and you're third in a queue and you have to wait 45 minutes to even get on and then another half an hour for a charge it's just going to unfortunately put a lot of people off well, look that's a topic where absolutely sure to touch on again but good to see that companies like Circle K you know which are 
embracing the change to EVs and they are going to be part of the process rather than just trying to rally against it. Absolutely. And companies have to change. We've seen it since the the dawn of mankind. You know, companies, enterprises, it has to change, has to change with the times. Uh, people who fed horses, you know, in, in, uh, in Dublin City 120 years ago were, were facing similar challenges and uh, it'll continue to, to change. As always, you can read more from us on the AA Ireland blog. That's the aa.ae forward slash blog. And you will find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook and TikTok. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate it if you like it. And until next time, goodbye and be safe.